podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone, it's been a while. Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. So after a prolonged break, which feels like it's lasted longer than it actually has, the Reds returned to Premier League action this weekend as Klopp's side entered the business end of their season, still in with a chance of adding three trophies to their haul. And though there may be bigger fixtures ahead, each and every game will feel like a cup final given the lack of room for error in the league. And first up, there comes a familiar face returning to Anfield on Saturday after having seemingly left the Premier League behind last time round. So I'm talking about Roy Hodgson, of course, as he brings his Watford side to Anfield this weekend in search of precious points towards what's looking like an unlikely survival. And joining us on the pod uh, to lend us his insight into what's been another turbulent season for the Hornets back in the Premier League that's seen them go through you know, three different managers, we welcome back content writer for Betway and lifelong Watford fan, Adam Drury. Welcome back, Adam. Hey, how's it going? Not not bad. We're just having like a brief chat ahead of the pod there around one. I got a cold, so for listeners who are um, listening into this, um, if if the voice keeps on going lower, it's not because I'm trying to be morose uh, as we talk about Watford's uh, season. And I think Adam, you already alluded to it beforehand. But um, yeah, that that's why the voice is a little bit on the dodgy side. Um, and then yeah, it feels like actually we're just both speaking around the fact that it feels like we've not watched our clubs play for ages now, like three or four weeks, of course, with them having cup games right before the break. And then, yeah, there have been this extended break with uh, the World Cup qualifiers with some interesting results. And uh, yeah, obviously some of the um, those qualifiers involving Liverpool players over the last couple of nights with uh, Salah um, basically becoming Triple H uh, every time, uh, every Egyptian player rather becoming Triple H every time they went out to take a penalty, all, all those lasers and Mane securing Senegal's place in the World Cup. And um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's been an eventful one. But I, I guess during this period, have you, have you caught up with much football? Have you used it to try and sort of, uh, you know, put, put everything to one side? Um, no, been watching, been watching a fair bit of it. I guess from a Watford point of view, it's been quite nice, even though it's been a pretty miserable season up to now. Been quite nice that at least this break's come off the back of a win, so we've sort of yeah. had that um, morale boost uh, just before this break. Although, then watched Everton and Leeds both win dramatic games the following weekend, which was a bit of a blow. Um, mm. But no, actually, I always quite enjoy the internationals. I know they get a fair amount of, uh, particularly these friendlies. Uh, you know, are generally not huge events, but I enjoy following England and obviously been some pretty big stories in the World Cup qualified hmm. as well. So uh, enjoyed it, but yeah, definitely looking forward to to getting getting stuck into the club stuff again. No, of course, yeah, no, Italy obviously with that shock, yeah. that shock defeat and uh, 
yeah, I've got, got sort of Ghanaian members of uh, of my family as well. So Niger- and I've got I've got Nigerian friends as well. So Nigeria versus Ghana was um yeah it was a it's a, been a lively couple of weeks, that's shall a, we say? That's an enormous game, anyway, isn't it? In that part <laughs> of the world. Yeah, no, I think uh, one of one of my mates called it the Jalof Derby. So that's yeah, it's 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 been a big one, and and the fact that Ghana basically win on a technicality in the end almost feels yeah particularly bittersweet, I'm sure, for <laughs> next time I see some of my Nigerian friends, but um. Unfortunately, to bring it back to the Premier League and then talk around, um, last time we had you on, it was, it was just as Claudio Ranieri had been appointed, um, yeah. as the new Watford manager replacing, uh, Skunines, if I've got it completely wrong. Um, and that was after the Leeds, uh, Watford game, uh, well, actually, you know, it was a little bit after that, but that was the last result that he was manager for. Mm-hmm. And Ranieri took charge ahead of that, yeah. Uh, Liverpool Watford game, uh, which obviously finished five nil to to Liverpool on the day, it was a pretty sort of um, cold cold start for him. Um, we spoke at the time a little bit around whether or not you were shocked that Ranieri uh, Ranieri was brought in at that time. Um, I suppose now we can sort of have a look back at his brief stint at the club. Um, just give me your overview of sort of um, what what didn't work, what didn't work from the start, sort of where you apportioned the blame really. Yeah, I think that that Liverpool game to start with was wasn't great. Um, yeah. Wasn't great, and also probably in hindsight was just a bit of a write-off. It was one of those where I've been to enough of these over the last few years now, where you could tell mm. very early on in the game that Watford were playing in quite a sort of passive back foot way. Liverpool had complete control, and as soon as they went one or two nil up, relatively early, if I remember rightly, that was that was pretty yeah. much that. That Danny so Rose Salah matchup yeah, was the one that looked um, particularly cruel actually on the day. Yeah, well, Danny Rose. I remember Danny Rose was picked as, was picked as a left centre back that day, which was in a in a back three, which yeah. obviously didn't suit him at all. No. And he was playing Salah probably. I know Salah's had an amazing season, but at that stage was probably having the best period of his whole season. He'd just scored against Man City, that brilliant goal against Man City, and scored a very similar one at Watford as well, um, up against Danny Rose. Um, and to be fair, I think. That might have been the last time Danny Rose appeared. He didn't appear very often, very often at all. I think he did appear a little bit after that, but not very often. And he's now still employed by Watford, but completely uh, disappeared. Um, but actually, in the first few weeks under Ranieri, there were some decent performances um, that I think had us thinking that potentially in the second half of the season we might we might improve. I mean. They put in some decent performances against um, Chelsea at home. That was a very good one. Very unlucky to lose 2-1. And then lost 3-1 to Man City that following weekend after the midweek game against Chelsea. And they were two games that kind of had us thinking, right, when we take on the bottom half of the table, um, you know, there's going to be a decent opportunity to pick up some points because we were playing quite high energy front foot football. It was very exciting. And then just after that Man City game, there was a defeat at Brentford on a Friday night when they scored in the very last minute of the game with a penalty. And that seemed to just kind of put a pin in this bubble of excitement that had just started to generate itself um, going into those run of games. There was a lot of COVID then knocking about. Watford had quite a bad outbreak, games getting called off. And by the time they came back from that, any kind of decent momentum or energy that had built up beforehand had had completely gone. And they put in some very sort of lacklustre, passive um, performances against West Ham. There was a heavy defeat at home to West Ham. Mm. Um, and then it kind of culminated in that heavy defeat at home to Norwich, which had been, it was one of those games the club built up as a massive one. There was no sort of pretending that this is just a normal game. You know, we had 
an email sent out by Musa Sissoko saying, please get yourself down there. This is huge. You know, all that that really? sort of thing. make wow. some noise. Yeah. Um, and then they put in just a, such a flat, um, yeah, performance lacking in kind of inspiration. And that was, we know what it's like. We know what it's become like at Watford in the last few years. That was kind of a sense that that's definitely going to be that for, for Ranieri. So yeah, it was strange because I, I look back and I think there were, he was, there was clearly some decent work being done and there were some decent performances. But when it was almost like when they had to deliver those performances in games, they actually could win that belief in that way of playing disappeared. And when it was games against teams that, you know, it was kind of a free hit, nothing to lose kind of situation. Um, they were much better. So it was a mm. shame, but yeah, not a surprise. And what were some of the changes that he, 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 he tried to make? And um, obviously we'll come on to talk around sort of Hodgson and his arrival at the club and his arrival yeah. back in the Premier League. And um, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty easy to understand sort of what Hodgson is 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 going to do at this stage um, when he when he's setting up a team. But just interested in terms of sort of the the things Ranieri was trying, and you mentioned that there were some sort of positive signs before that momentum, uh, yeah, dissipated. Yeah, there was a home game. Actually, didn't mention it when I was listing the decent performances then, but the home game against Man United, which we won four one. Yes, which was Solskjaer's yeah. last game, which was a really really. Like I described um, for that Chelsea game, a really front foot, um, front foot performance, lot full of lots of running, lots of um, you know forward thinking, um, forward thinking passing from midfielders. Lots, you know, the front three were buzzing around, lots of pressing from the front, um, winning the ball back in dangerous areas, creating plenty of chances, and that coming out of that Man United game. Um, there was a defeat at Leicester, I think, the next week. And then there were, again, solid performances against Chelsea and Man City at home. And there was this kind of DNA starting to starting to sort of present itself, as I say, this high-energy, high-pressing style. The front three were all playing really well. It was um, Saar who got injured around that time, but Emmanuel Davis was having a really good time around then. Um, and yeah, it felt like there was plenty to be optimistic about. And then, as I say, in the following run of games, when we had a run of fixtures against run of fixtures that we felt we could win that belief and that inspiration that had been there in maybe more pressure off games didn't seem to materialize in the same way which um was kind of Ranieri's downfall it's hard to say what really went wrong but whether it was a change of tactics or whether the players just weren't delivering what Ranieri wanted on the pitch we never really saw that again in those pressure games um so yeah there what there as I say the around that time when people were talking about Watford's front players and how that front three was so dangerous and goals wasn't a problem, goals weren't a problem. Um, there was some, you know, quite, there were some performances to, to give us some hope, but unfortunately um, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, deliver those performances against Norwich at home, against Newcastle away, against West Ham at home, so on games that we felt we had a better chance of winning. Hmm. And in terms of sort of where I suppose you'd, you'd point in, in terms of the, the the main issue why you feel Watford have struggled so much. Obviously, there's, there's the disruption with having three different managers in one season, and despite the best one in the world and sort of the best of preparation, that's never going to be it's never going to be easy for a side to adapt to. But in terms of sort of the the quality of the squad, the way in which they've approached things tactically as well, I mean, where would you look at and go, well, that's that's really the issue. Perhaps there wasn't enough quality in in a certain area. Maybe the defense wasn't strong enough. Uh, you mentioned COVID having the impact it did as well. I mean, 
could easily be a combination of factors there mm. but is there a main one that you look at and go well if if, if we'd sorted that out ahead of the season perhaps things would have been different yeah well, I think obviously the goals against column is is the one that's going to stand out at the end of the season um it's just been basically impossible for us to pick up points unless we score maybe a couple of goals in a game. There was a run under Ranieri particularly where we simply couldn't pick up a single point unless we scored twice in a game because goals were just going in um, at the other end with ease, it felt like. Um, There's quite a few, as you say, you've you've picked out a couple of reasons for that. I think the COVID break didn't help just as things were starting to pick up under Ranieri. Um, But also, I think you have to look at the, the overall fact that we've once again got through three head coaches in a Premier League season, all of whom are completely different. Um, had to sign players in the summer um, who Zisco and Munoz wanted to bring into the season and then sign players at the beginning of January while Ranieri was still in charge and then Ranieri is replaced by Hodgson by the end of the window and we don't have time to bring in anybody else, not that we necessarily wanted to, but there's there's just that overriding sense that the club as a whole don't know really what they want at the moment in terms of the style of head coach, the style of football they want the team to play, the type of player they want to bring in. Um, and so I think that's that's really the reason, that's the fundamental reason why things have been so disjointed and disappointing this season. There's no um, thread, no sort of what for DNA in terms of the players we want, the managers we hire. And so when you get Ranieri coming in, suddenly wanting to play front foot, high-pressing football, then you get Hodgson coming in, who is much happier setting up his team in their own half, looking more defensively solid, but certainly not playing, you know, pressing from the front in the same way. I don't know how you can possibly expect to build a squad um, that you know that you can hang your hat on, that you know is going to perform when you're asking them to do three different things in one season. Um, so you're right, there, are, there have been various personnel issues, various other issues this season. My view is that the squad isn't bad and the recruitment of players hasn't been bad at all this season. Probably the, the quality of the players is better than the league position would suggest, but it's never going to work when you're asking the, the squad to, um, to, change, to change the way they're being asked to play um, so often. And I think that's probably the fundamental reason why it's gone wrong so far. And of course, I mean, people looked at the Pozos and sort of they knew that, you know, they'd gotten into this pattern of replacing managers on a pretty frequent basis, even after they seemed to do, you know, fairly well. Mm. Um, and actually, it makes a lot of sense listening to you speak there around this, this, this consistent lack of um, consistency in terms of the, the coaches that have been there. Um, mm. Really, really difficult for a side to sort of get accustomed to the way in which they're, they're supposed to be playing. Do, do, do you actually think that perhaps you even could have been better just sticking with Chisco Munez and regardless of what happened this season, given how it's going now, you, you just stick with one coach and at least get through the season, stick with them again, given how you performed in the championship last time round and try and ingrain the style of play into, into a squad. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely a school of thought that that school of thought definitely exists. And I've seen it voiced quite often after, you know, miserable defeats under Hodgson. Would this have looked any worse if we just stuck with this goal season long? My own view was that actually what the club should have done was probably replace him last summer after immediately after promotion had been secured, which sounds cutthroat, but is actually that is much more working towards a plan and working towards something that you're aiming for in the Premier League than what they did, which is kind of 
let it drift seven games into a season and then realise, all right, we better make a change yeah. now. And we've seen that's that before something. from the positives as well, yeah, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Sort of you know, being ruthless after a championship promotion. That's the thing. The the perception that they're constantly turning over managers and that it's the ba- it's the wrong way to go isn't necessarily right. In the in years gone by, when they replaced um, Jukanovic after the promotion season, Kike Sanchez Flores came in, was replaced the following summer. You know, the first three or four managerial changes were all to a plan and they were all each one was brought in to take the team to the next step and it was all forward thinking um and it was sort of um it it was forging our own way forward rather than now which is so reactive we're now reacting to a run of poor performances and we're kind of chasing our tail and we're desperately always trying to find the person to save us so the manner in which these managers are being turned over is very different now to what it was when they actually developed this reputation um, and so exactly exactly what you say, what they did last time when they hired a new head coach for the Premier League end of May, early June that summer, um, that and then and then signed a good seven or eight players to suit what they knew he'd want in the Premier League that season. That to me was working to a plan and, and thinking through what you're going to do, which hasn't really happened this season. I think this season they let it drift with this go too long when there probably were doubts all along. And they knew if this gets a few games into the season, it looks a bit hairy. We're going to have to make a change. Um, and so what What I think the trick I think they've missed is not being decisive enough earlier in the summer um, and then having to sort of make these decisions and chase their tail throughout this season, which has now unfortunately happened two Premier League campaigns in a row. You know, the pattern of the season we went down last time is very, very similar to this one in terms of head coach turnover scrabbling around in each transfer window trying to suit one manager and then hiring another one and trying to get the signings in for them it's um yeah i think a few lessons probably haven't been learned and i think uh they've this kind of lost their decisive edge while also becoming even more cutthroat with their sort of desperate decisions and in terms of any commentary from them around uh, you know any future planning? I'm sure. I'm sure there's, there, there's been criticism from the fans around this pattern that you mentioned there that's emerged over the last couple of seasons. The the perception that there is this lack of forward playing that used to once exist. Obviously, they're not going to come out and undermine Hodgson um, in yeah at this stage. But I think it's it's and we'll get on to talk about him so far since he's arrived at the club. But I think it's very obvious that he's not going to be a long term solution. He'll probably leave no. at the end of the season, you'd imagine. Yeah. Um, so have there been any um, sort of noises made around um, the type of manager, the the, the manager itself that, the, that they're potentially looking at, uh, promises of investment, any response to the fans who I'm sure rightly, uh, you know. Uh, frustrated by sort of how these past yeah. two seasons have gone, how past three seasons have gone. No, I mean, no, not really. That's that's one of the main um, areas of frustration for Watford fans at the moment is that we, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm saying to you now that there's no thread, there's no DNA, they don't know what they're looking for. That's sort of an educated guess based on what we're seeing. But, um, f- you know, for all I know, it would be strange. It'd be strange if this was the case based on what's happened. But for all I know. That they're, they're thinking things through to a much greater degree than I'm telling you. They're, they've got their plan, they've got their thread, they've got their DNA. Maybe it's just not quite working at the moment. Um, but we just don't, we don't hear from them at all. We don't really know what their ambitions are for Watford. And to be honest, uh, we, we haven't heard from them particularly strongly in the last two or three years when things have been going wrong. And actually it has been noticeable that 
when promotion was secured at the end of last season, we suddenly did hear a fair amount from Scott Duxbury, who's the chief executive, about plans for the Premier League and what we're going to do and how important promotion was. But actually, when things have started to go wrong over the last two or three years, we haven't heard much from them at all. So you're right. I think it's, it's unfair for fans to come out and demand that owners explain all their thinking and all their decisions and what they're doing. But it would be nice to hear a little bit more about just where they see the club going, explain a few of the decisions they've made, maybe put their hands up and admit that they've made mistakes, but that they see the way forward and see what they want to do to to put it right. And I think hopefully, I mean, I've, I, there's no suggestion that this is actually going to happen, but hopefully, which, however this season finishes, there'll be something in the summer where a sort of, you know, line in the sand is drawn and the the ownership or the or Scott Duxbury, the chief executive, comes out and explains a few things, explains what the vision is for the club. And I think there's still enough goodwill based on all the good work that's gone on over the years before these last few. Um, there's enough goodwill that Watford fans are, are very happy and prepared to um, continue backing this ownership. But at the moment, there's so much confusion about where they are, what they want, that um, there's a danger that things are going to turn a little bit, well, they are turning against them, but turn against them even more over the next few months. And I think you're right. I think a little bit of communication would probably go a long way to, to helping. And so on Hodgson then, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I thought, he, I thought he'd walked away for good after yeah. sort of his, um, his, his, his time at Palace. And, uh, I mean, you, I, re- I really did feel for the guy when you saw his face, uh, post match against Burnley and being absolutely <laughs> battered by wind and rain. And you're thinking like, this is someone's granddad. You really should be, um, you know, Get, just, just getting some rest yeah. <laughs> after the amount of work that he's put in. Um, I think it's pretty clear sort of what he, he, he brings to a football side. We're aware of the organization, different style of players you mentioned there in terms of sort of the less energetic, high pressing. Even despite that sort of weird last season he had at Palace where he, he, he started to try a, a few different things. Um, but one thing that's immediately apparent looking at the results is, to, you know, despite the, uh, sorry, um, in, uh, in spite of the Palace result and the, the Wolves result is mm-hmm. that the, the, the margin of some of these wins or losses are, you know, it's immediately smaller because that's, that's obviously sort of what he, he, he tries to give you improved organization, try and makes the, uh, tries to make the margins in a game very, very small. I mean, what have you made of, of his, uh, of his arrival back at the club, um, obviously viewed as something that's uh, a temporary measure, um, but ha- how fans reacted to it and then the football, um, I suppose, changing from a high-energy style that wasn't always bearing fruit and, and resulted in Ranieri losing his job to a much more measured uh, conservative approach in, in an attempt to, to get points on the board. Yeah, how have you, um, how have you found that? Yeah, well, I think you're right that your point about us all having thought he'd retired was sort of the first thing that certainly came into my mind when I saw he was going to get the job and then when he was appointed. Um, and I think, A, your first thought is is what, what's in this for him? Why is he interested? You know, I, I don't quite understand still, to be honest, why he's putting himself through this. Especially after. post-match Burnley. I mean, that just know, looked know, awful. That first, that first game, luckily I wasn't there that night. I went up for the one that was called off for about an hour to spare in December. And I thought that was uh, that was enough trips to Burnley for me this yeah. season. But yeah, that, I watched that one on on uh, on the telly, and it did look. I mean, the conditions did look absolutely mad. To be fair, um, and you're right. Your first thought for him is, yeah, why are you putting yourself through this? But he <laughs> he speaks quite 
you know, he, he says that he still has, um, you know, that burning passion inside him for football. Mm. I don't know whether he knows too much else. I think when he's not coaching a football team, maybe in the last few months, he sort of felt a little bit lost yeah. or like that's what, you know, he needs to be getting back to that. I think um, you're right, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that was my first thought. And I think that probably, if there's a frustration towards him, it maybe partly stems from that, this perception that he's maybe aware that he doesn't need this. It's probably not going to add add or take away much from his legacy. Certainly if it goes wrong and Watford go down, I don't think people are going to remember that this is a Roy Hodgson failure. And I don't think it's going to particularly tarnish his career. Obviously, if he keeps Watford up from the position that they were in when he took over, that's going to be you know, another incredible achievement um, to, to add to his CV, I guess. But um, I, I think there's a, probably a perception that he he doesn't need this or have to have to perform here um, for his own good or for his own career, which isn't necessarily what you want from a head coach. I think you'd, you'd want someone who, I guess, is maybe just feeling it a little bit more. And that, I, that could be harsh. That's not to say Hodgson isn't feeling it and feeling the pressure and going home every day and wondering what to do next and all those sorts of things. And I'm not saying that's even a healthy thing for a manager to be doing, but you just expect, I think, in general, he's 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 given off a perception, an idea that um, maybe the sort of emotional, he's, he, the, the emotional energy energy being poured into the job isn't quite what you'd expect. That could be harsh, but that's just the the feeling I get that he's 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 approached the job very pragmatically um and he talks a lot about you know he spoke after the arsenal game about how um you know a win against arsenal so unlikely and if you if you really expected us to kickstart our season today by beating arsenal um i'm afraid you're dreaming and things like that you know he speak he's such a pragmatist in the way he speaks yes that yeah. you almost you almost begin to wonder whether he's feeling it emotionally enough and perhaps that's just his nature and i think it probably is from hearing him in previous jobs but I think probably a combination of his age the perception that he'd retired and then sometimes the way he talks I think it gives off an impression of somebody who there's just a feeling that maybe he he probably doesn't doesn't quite need this in the way that maybe somewhat for fans maybe myself included would would like the head coach to be um in terms of on the field there's been it's kind of it, it's been a bit of a mix and match. There's actually been a big dis, disparate um, what's the, disparity. That's what I'm looking for between home and away form. The home form is pretty useless. It has to be said. I think to the point where there's it feels like there's some sort of psychological block in the players' minds, some sort of pressure which is just completely crippling them when they play at home because there's hardly been a home game for months now. I think it's eight home defeats in a row. It might even be nine. Um, there's hardly been a game for months which have offered which has offered any hope from quite early on you know teams are turning up at Vicarage Road and putting Watford away you know with with plenty to spare and with time to spare and it's become a familiar theme leaving the stadium you know nipping down so you can you can beat the rush and all that sort of thing um, has become a familiar part of match day at Watford and I think that's probably translating to the players which isn't ideal considering all of the biggest games coming up are are at home the away form's actually different. I think quite often, quite often the pattern has been somebody's absolutely hammered us at Vicarage Road. We go to an away game not expecting much, and then the team actually deliver more than you're expecting, and that's happened a few times away. Except for the Wolves game, we've had 
that nil-nil at Burnley, um, a 1-0 win at Villa, 2-1 win at Southampton last time, nil-nil uh, at Man United as well, which was pretty fortuitous, but still adds to the, you know, adds to the feeling that we're a decent, decent away side at the moment. Um, so there's, there's been, there've been the odd performance. You'd say Villa and Southampton as the two wins mainly where you can almost see the Hodgson blueprint. And actually at Southampton, that high energy, high pressing from the front kind of style I was talking about under Ranieri, we did see a little bit more of that. There's lots of energy in that front three that played at Southampton and we didn't really give them much time to settle and we got stuck into them. And I'd say that was actually one of the more complete performances of our, of our whole season. Um, there haven't been too many. There's not much competition, but that, that was good. So hopefully that's something we're going to take into the next few games. But this talk of Hodgson is a pragmatist and, and can shore a defence up, well, we're, we're only seeing it some of the time and it does sometimes feel, as it has under previous managers, that when a goal or two goes in, particularly at Vicarage Road, that there's still the potential for it to fall apart. So I guess the jury's out. It's not been a complete disaster. There's been a couple of decent wins that keep us in touch. Um, but the next couple of months are, are where he's going to earn his money. Yeah, and as you say, it's, it's almost difficult for you to, and I suppose other fans as well, to, to judge too harshly because, uh, as you said, you're sort of doubting, I mean, this man's commitment to it. I mean, he, he's, I do, I think you're correct in the fact that this man, you know, loves football. And we've heard Arsene Wenger speak in the past about how, um, he's sort of now in hindsight, he's happy that he stepped away from management because uh, I think if he didn't, um, he was probably, he probably would never have left mm. football. And probably, probably for that reason, it's harsh. To, I don't want it to, to sound like we're questioning whether his heart's really in it. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure it is, mm. but. I think a combination of the way he speaks so pragmatically and in, I'd say sometimes in a sort of emotionless way um, <laughs> combined I, with, uh, as we've both said, the fact that we both thought he'd retired. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that, kind of that could just be Hodgson as well, actually, I think, because I mean, obviously Liverpool like fans will, will always be a bit cynical towards his time at the club. But I mean, those mm. quotes were coming thick and fast on a regular basis. Like, oh, yeah, you, you know, we shouldn't be expecting this sort of win. You know, yeah. It would yeah. be utopia, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, so you might be right. That, I, hearing that from you probably reinforces that, but it's a Hodgson thing. Rather I think than he's a, just that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> th- um, which, which actually, for, that's the thing. I think the, approaching the Liverpool job talking that way just doesn't make sense because there's really no game where Liverpool fans think we can't be expected to do too much here. Even then, I know Liverpool weren't the side they were now, but you know the, the point of Hodgson coming in then was to sort of restore Liverpool into a top four title winning side right and mm-hmm. when you're saying things like that that's that's never really going to go down well whereas with Watford I actually do I, I listen to him sometimes and I actually quite admire his pragmatism because I think in my moments when I take the emotion out of things and try to look at things pragmatically actually a lot of what he says makes sense you know um the need to the need to focus on the defensive side of the game and uh, the need to he, talk, he talks a lot about how there's no point me sitting here saying uh, we've got to perform on Saturday. You know, it's it's up to us to actually go out and do it. He talks a lot, a lot of logical, pragmatic sense. Um, I think just sometimes it's that's maybe maybe taken a step towards um, lacking in passion and belief and energy and that sort of thing. That's what doesn't go down so well. Yeah, and actually, I, th- I think that pragmatism, as you say, and with no disrespect whatsoever, is is, is probably the reason why he has been successful at at some mm. of the clubs that have have been more mid table or lower, even 
even lower half where he's he's been able to get his message across and, and it's resonated with players and, and, and that pragmatism has sort of suited him pretty well. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that there was once that hilarious quote. I think it was a Henry Winter quote about him being a broadsheet manager in a tabloid world, which is yeah. is, is is very stupid, but also very funny as well. Yeah. Um, and I suppose then, I mean, m- moving beyond Hodgson um, specifically, I, I wanted to ask you, you. You talked about the front three there a little bit, uh, um, and, and some of the, some of the stronger performances you have seen this season, where they've pressed high and they've been. They've combined sort of well. I mean, who who have been the players this season that that, that you do look at and go, well, well, they are sort of highlights. They are um, mm. positives that we can take into next campaign. It's funny because they've all had their own sort of little mini periods throughout the season where they felt like they're the, the main man. So at the start of the season, Ismail Assar started the season absolutely brilliantly. Um, I think by around October, November, he was... Uh, the top scorer, top assister, you know, he felt like the key man. And actually, if you said then that you'll be without Ishmael Assar for months and months of this season through injury, that would be, uh, you know, I can basically turn the season into a write-off. You know, he was the main man, as close to a one-man team, certainly in an attacking sense, as you'll see probably in the Premier League, just because he he sort of carried carried the hope um, of scoring or creating a goal in every single game. Um, but actually, as time went on, other players have come into it. So Emmanuel Dennis is probably the one who's taken the most headlines around, certainly around November, December. He was absolutely flying, you know, one of those periods where he felt like every shot was going in. Every time he steps onto the pitch, he's going to make something happen. Just had a just had a golden period of form, um, which has probably dropped off to an extent, although I think he's still a dangerous player um, that that incredible run of form he had around November, December, where he seemed to score in most games, um, has slightly dropped off, as you'd expect. And then there are others as well. So Joao Pedro, I think, is probably the outstanding talent at the club at the moment, maybe with Saar. Um, but Pedro, I think, is one who probably not many people think about or possibly have even heard of. But I think he's very close to doing something which will catapult him into the sort of mainstream football chat if you know what I mean I think he's absolutely brilliant player um probably deserves better than to end up having another season in the championship next year if that's what ends up happening but um I think he's 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 really sort of grown as a when he first he first arrived from Brazil a couple of years ago and was quite a sort of thin gangly lad who had um worked his way through the through the Brazilian system up to the um, Fluminense first team. Brilliant talent, but probably needed to bulk up a bit. He did that going into the championship last season. He's coming to this season. He's just such a mature, skillful player. Reads the game brilliantly. Hasn't got loads of pace, but just got a lovely touch and a lovely way that he carries the ball. So I think he's he's a really, really exciting player. And actually, it's a shame we haven't seen as much of him as we have. Um, we haven't seen more of him, I mean, this season, because... Um, I think the more time he spends on the field, the better chance Watford have. And then the other one who's come into form recently is Cucho Hernandez, who's scored. He's sort of scored most of his goals seems to be spectacular. Well, he's yeah, a brilliant yeah. goal on the opening day of the season. Scored that overhead kick against Arsenal a few weeks ago. Another very good volley at Southampton in the last game. So um, they're all they're all young players who have come in and out of form at various times this season. I guess that's part of the problem. It sounds like I'm sort of bigging up four fantastic attacking players now and you're probably wondering why Watford are in the relegation zone but um, they, they've all shown enough to believe that they are very much Premier League standard future high level players 
um, I guess consistency at times has been an issue, particularly with um, Cucho, who hadn't really made much of an impression for quite you know the middle months of the season. Um, so they're all players who, in theory, have the potential to hurt Liverpool on Saturday. I'm sure we'll come to that game, but certainly have made an impression at various stages of this season. Yeah, and no, I think you're, you're right there in terms of them not necessarily hitting form at the same time has always been a bit of a difficult thing as well. Mm. In, in terms of the um, remainder of the season before we come to the Liverpool game itself, I mean, how, how are fans feeling about the remainder of the season? And um, I mean, the chances, I'm just, just looking at the table, obviously 29 games played, 22 points, uh, Burnley and Everton both uh, 27 27 games play, so two games in hand. Mm. One of those actually is directly against Everton, so that'll be a, no doubt an important yeah. one. But um, yeah, I mean, what's where do you think fans are at at the moment? Have they sort of consigned themselves to the fact that it's too big a job, or is there still hope that Hodgson can pick up those points? I mean, there is still hope. I mean, the number of times over the last few weeks when this defeat is the one which means, okay, we're giving up now, we've given up hope, it's not going to happen, it's too too much to do. And then we'll go and get a win at Villa or we'll draw at Old Trafford or we'll win at Southampton just when so the Southampton game came three days after the 4-0 defeat at Wolves, which was basically a complete capitulation in the first half and killed the game. And you're thinking, OK, that surely is it. Uh, and then they go to Southampton, play well and win. And so now we're kind of wondering, OK, is there something still there? It's been a bit of a roller coaster in that sense over the last few weeks. The reality is everybody knows it's it's going to be very, very tough. Um to stay up from here. I think Burnley, as you say, with those games in hand, are more likely to make it happen than Watford. Um, and Everton, even though they just look so poor at the moment, they've, they've got players with stature and with experience of winning games. And you, you just would think that they'll probably get enough points um, to stay up as well, although probably Burnley and Everton can't both stay up. But um, that's, a, that's a different matter for those two teams to sort themselves out. Um, so I think everybody acknowledges it's going to be very difficult, but there are a run of home games coming up, which is why I mentioned the worrying home form before, which are all absolutely huge games, all in theory winnable. And if Watford can win, say, four of their remaining five home games, which sounds a lot, but with the fixtures isn't impossible, then they're going to be in a, a position to, to potentially make it happen. So there are home games coming up against Leeds, Brentford, Burnley, and Everton, which hasn't been rescheduled yet because that was meant to be on the cup weekend. So I think they are four teams directly above the relegation zone. Um, and sorry, Burnley and the three teams directly above the relegation zone all to come at home between now and the end of the season. And then Leicester at home is the other home game. So there are five home games there. And realistically, considering we've still got to play Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea away, the vast majority of the points we get if we're going to stay up have to come at home so I think assuming Liverpool on Saturday is a write-off it's Leeds at home the following week and that's going to be the one which is absolutely enormous and which we'll, we'll have to deliver and win to give everybody some sort of belief that the home form is going to be enough to to collect four or five wins between now and the end of the season mm -hmm. um, the reality is that home form so poor and they've shown I mean they haven't won back-to-back -back games all season which um, is clearly going to have to be something that changes. All the evidence points towards it probably being too much to do. But the nature of that win at Southampton and just the fact that it's those intangible things about Hodgson. He's been there before. Whether we say um, 
you know, whatever we say about him, he's not going to, he's going to remain calm. He's going to understand what needs to be done, um, whether he can, you know, relay that to the squad and get the squad singing from the same hymn sheet. We'll see. Um, but yeah, that run of home home games is obviously going to decide it. And in terms of, you mentioned sort of the away form being sometimes better than the home form. And, and, and that's it, probably the main issue about these games that are coming up, which are you know, massive, massive fixtures. How do you think Hodgson will actually approach uh, the the game this weekend against Liverpool? Then, you know, based upon the fact you've, you've sometimes seen a bit more of a free performance or freer performance from from the team on these occasions, um, and, and what you know of Liverpool at the moment, I think the only absence probably will be uh, that of Trent um, Alexander Arnold. I, I don't expect him to be there this weekend, but apart from that, should be full strength and um, I imagine quite a quite an annoyed Mo Salah as well. Yeah, yeah, I guess that one could go either way. Um... Yeah, well, I wouldn't necessarily say it's free at performances away from home. It's probably, it, it could even be put down to uh, a feeling that they're more comfortable playing in this um, back foot, in their own half, men behind the ball style away from home, where you're not going to get grumbles about getting stuck into the opposition and throwing men forward and all that sort of thing. They look quite happy and comfortable in their own skin playing that way away. Um, and to be honest, one, one of Hodgson's, you know, one of many incredibly pragmatic things he said is that he he's not he's not going to go into Liverpool or Man City thinking oh okay this is a tough one we'll just chuck this and you know reserve our energy for next week it's just another game and he's just going to prepare the team in the same way um and you know by all accounts his training methods are very repetitive just gets the players doing the same things over and over again reacting to different scenarios you know, what to do when you win back possession, what to do when you lose it, all those things which have been drilled, hopefully, into the players over the last few weeks. I don't think it's going to change much for, for Saturday. I'm sure another thing he's thinking privately, and which we'll probably hear after the game if we lose it, is that this was always going to be tough and this wasn't one we were likely to win. However however well we'd done on the training ground or however much work had gone in, this is a very, very tough game which we're very unlikely to get anything from. But I don't think going into the game it's going to be one he's sort of... Uh, you know, he's not going to be saying, well, we've got one eye on next week or it's obviously going to be about the home form. I think he'll be thinking this is just another opportunity to take points as unlikely as it, as it may be. So um, I think hopefully we'll see some of the same resolve and spirit and at times quality on Saturday that we've seen in previous away games. Um, but clearly all evidence points to it being um, <laughs> more of the same that we've uh, seen at Anfield when Watford have gone to Anfield over the last few years. And actually, even that Man United game a few weeks ago, which finished 0-0, United missed chance after chance in that game, which I doubt Liverpool would. So the, the only away game we've had against really, you know, well, I wouldn't put Man United in Liverpool's class, but improved, you know, better opposition. Um, the signs were there that actually they're not necessarily going to keep them out um, for 90 minutes particularly, particularly easily. So, We'll see. But no, I, I don't think it's going to be one. I don't think he's going to be out there saying, think about the home games coming up. It's going to be very much, uh, let's do what we can to, to take the point, to take anything from Anfield on Saturday. And I suppose if we do like a fantasy football um, sort of uh, question to end the pod, I suppose, in, in terms of, let's say, the club do end up in the championship next season, uh, we talked about sort of the, the lack of forward planning. But in terms of, uh, if, you, if, if you could pick a coach to... Um, you know, that you think would be the the right sort of candidate to take Watford forward and maybe last a bit longer actually than, mm. um, or, or be given a bit more time. Uh, 
even if they were to do well in the championship and get the side promoted. I mean, what kind of manager and what kind of football do you think the fans are um, uh, seeking? I think sort of going back to an answer from a few minutes ago, talking about those those attack those young attacking players, particularly Pedro and Cucho, who feel like the two who would be more likely to stay in the championship. We want to see a team which builds itself around the young um, quality that we've got the squad. And there is a fair amount of it. There's some there's players out on loan in the Football League at the moment. And there are some players in this squad who, in theory, should do really, really well at championship level um, and have proven themselves to in Joao Pedro's case. Um, we, I would like to see a coach come in and play in a way which is a higher tempo, kind of what, what I was referring to with the Ranieri performances quite early on in, in uh, Ranieri's uh, time earlier this season. Um, high tempo, pressing from the front and playing to the strengths of our skillful skillful front players. Um, you know, that that's obviously an, an answer which probably everybody would give you about the style of play they want their club to play. Um, but I do think that there's there's quality at Watford now, which I would worry isn't going to be sort of nurtured to its highest potential, particularly in the case of Pedro and, to an extent, Cucho as well. Um, because of the turnover of coaches and because of the different things they're being asked to do, because of the lack of foundation in the team, um, I, I sort of worry about their development and whether they'll become the players they can be at Watford. So I think clearly a manager who plays to the front player's strengths, plays fast, high-tempo, attacking football, um, but but more importantly than that, just somebody who the club, I want the club to appoint somebody in who will play the style of football that they see this team playing. And if that goes wrong or if that manager moves on higher up or somewhere else, they can bring someone else in who will want to do similar things, who will want to work with players in a similar way. So whatever that is that they choose to, whichever you know way they choose to go, that's the most important thing, really. But. Yeah, I think there's a lot of exciting young players, particularly forward players at Watford at the moment, who um, I want to see the best the best got out of. No, yeah, I certainly agree. I think I think what you're what you're saying there, and the overarching theme is just just some consistency, just across yeah. the board would be yeah, exactly would be very valuable, especially for those young players who need to sort of um, develop. But um, anyway, Adam, thank you, thank you so much as always for coming on and sort of giving us your opinion about about Watford, where they find themselves at the moment, and hopefully, sort of this yo-yo nature of of the way in which things have been can can come to a halt a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that Lampard um, uh, just continues to crumble. To be honest, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try and be objective on that. I think he was it was a dreadful appointment, uh, and I've been. Um, uh, unsurprised by how things have gone, to be honest, yep. and some of those post-match conferences. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Burnley are the team who end up getting out of it and sending Everton down. Because I think they're yeah. the, they're the team at the moment who are really well drilled, know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. All those things I've said, Watford maybe lack. Um, they've they've got in terms of a, a really strong foundation and a really strong idea of how they play and how to win games. So wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me to see them get out of it. Yeah, no, it just, just seems completely aimless. But uh, yeah, probably shouldn't end the pod on that note anyway. But uh, yeah, thanks as always for coming. I really appreciate your time. No problem. Um, and, and just just to all the listeners who've been listening in, um, obviously there's been a, a a gap, as we mentioned at the start of the pod, that there's, a, there's such a lack of football over the last three or four weeks. Uh, we now approach the the business end uh, of the season for Liverpool. And it's, so it's a weird one. 
I probably still haven't accepted it properly that uh, Liverpool are still in uh, for a chance of winning three different three additional trophies, um, however unlikely that may be in the end. But um, this is the business time. Of course, the next game that we'll, we'll be covering here on Rival Recon would be that that small clash uh, on Sunday 10th of April um, away at the Etihad. So that's going to be an interesting one for sure. The Champions League games uh, against Benfica, either side of that fixture. Uh, and then we play City again in the FA Cup, uh, and not to mention other massive games that are coming on in the run-in. So... Do do sort of keep locked into Rival Recon as well as all the other pods on Anfield Index Pro as well. Um, and I encourage you to check out one that just came out recently by the Under Pressure guys that focuses in on just the Mo Salah situation. You obviously had an unhappy 24 hours with being uh, you will not be seeing you know, one of the best players in the world uh, at the World Cup. Uh, which, which I'm sure Qatar is very unhappy about as well. Um, but uh, do do listen to that podcast, which covers sort of you know just the the the, the stats around uh, this this future contract talk, just how well he's performed during his time at Liverpool, and um, yeah, the conclusion that the boys come to around uh, should should Liverpool just pay up uh, in the end? To be honest, considering the way in which he's performed. Uh, maybe be a bit clever around image rights. So definitely uh, push you towards that pod as well. But uh, until then, um, hope you enjoy all the other great content that's out on Anfield Index Pro. But I'll be back, as I said, ahead of that uh, that particularly big game on Sunday 10th of April against Manchester City. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.